we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. All right, you guys. Well, many of you know that it's been a season for, for Jackie and I. It is, we have... Uh, we're, we've been going through it. We got the, we, you know, we have the house that we're trying to sell and, and it's been 90 some days on the market and we're finally going to take it off the market and we're going to live in it for a while. It, it turns out that this is the worst housing market in the country in something like 30 years and so, to sell a house. So not a good time to try to sell your house. So we're going to move into it in two weeks. So that's not a big deal that we're moving in two weeks from our rental from after our house burned down in the fire and to, to, to get to this, to the house rebuilt. And so we're going to be doing that in a couple of weeks. We said goodbye to Maggie. We, Maggie is our daughter that, that went off to Boston and is going to try to live just the, the life in Boston and, and get a job and just try to figure out what that's like. So Jackie and I packed up her moving van and the two of us drove across while Maggie flew across and we, we got to Boston and unloaded and it was as horrible as I thought it would be. I was, I was in tears the night before I left Boston. I'm writing this letter to her and I am I'm, I'm crying so hard I can't catch my breath. I'm like, <gasps> as I'm writing this, and I stuck it on her pillow. I doubt if she's even read it yet. She's like Captain Caveman with her bed. It's like all of her dishes and stuff that just end up under the sheets. And so I don't know if she's even seen it yet. But we came back from that, and then the next day, Jackie left for Spokane, for Seattle, for Richland, Washington, to go hang out with Ella and Justice, to go hang out with her, her family, to go hang out with my son and his wife, Emily, in Richland, um, because a big event was about to happen. This happened what, during that time. This is uh, Jackie with our fourth grandchild. This is uh, uh, a Piper Maggie is her name. And, um, and so Jackie's in heaven, okay? She's right where she wants to be. She's left me for a month, and she's right where she wants to be. And here I am. And it's been terrible. I'm miserable. In fact, my poor, this poor staff, they've had to hear me cry about this all the time. You guys, this is my theme song, okay? My theme song this month. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. We're going to play this for a while, because every lyric is true. When she's away, ain't no sunshine when she's gone. She's always gone too long. Ain't that the Any truth? She goes away. Let's keep going. I think Bill's got more stuff for us. Wonder this time where she's gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonder if she's gone. Is she just going to stay there with her grandkids? Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And this house just ain't no home. Isn't that the truth? I'm telling you, that's been my song, you guys. I've been singing that every anytime she goes away. Now, when she comes back, that song will change to Nora Jones, but that's a different story. Um, but... but it, that's, been my, that's been the story, man. I, I can do dishes and I can do laundry and I can go to the grocery store and Abby and I can eat cereal every night. We're, so we're fine that way. I just miss her, man. 
my sunshine's in Washington right now. And I can't wait for Jackie to, uh, to be home. I get to see her next week. So we will have survived um, after this next week. Well, we, well, all that's been happening. We started this series here um, called Fan or Follower. And, and, and I love, I love the, 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 even the thought of it. Because back when Jesus first started his ministry, there were all kinds of fans. All kinds of people that were crowding around wanting to see what was happening. Some would be, some would be yelling at him and booing him. Some would be cheering him just like fans would do. And so it was a bunch of fans. But Jesus wanted to go beyond just come and listen to me talk. He wanted people to actually step into following him. He'd said it multiple times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four people that set out to write about the life of Jesus, talked a lot about how many times he called people to follow him. Ten times in just Matthew it says that. Ten, it, 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 when Peter and John and James and Andrew were on the water and Jesus walked up to it and all the fans were around to listen to what he had to say, including them, he talked to them all from the, Peter's boat, threw it, telling them to throw the nets on the other side and catch a bunch of fish. And then he said this, come and follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. So he's going, man, I, I want it to be more than just you heard this. I need you to follow me. When he said it to the masses, he said, he said, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, I'm going to be that light. You won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. It was Matthew from the, at the tax collector's booth. It was to all 12 when he sent him out to the rich young ruler saying, follow me. The random man that wanted to bury his father. That's what, that's what Mo talked about last week when he saw Philip in Galilee saying, follow me. Even to those that don't, didn't believe, he said, my sheep, man, they, they, they hear my voice and they follow me. And to Peter, he probably said it a hundred times to Peter, follow me. Well, I don't know. Follow me. What about John? Follow me. He just kept saying, man, I want you to follow me. Why is he doing that? Because, because if you think about what it means to follow Jesus, it means you're, follow, you're in his footsteps. He's walking and you're walking. And you're not only intimately listening to what he has to say, but then you're also intimately connecting with him. You're right there and he wants you to follow him because he wants you to feel that connection with him. And you're going where he's going to go. Instead of him just talking about loving people, you're going where he's going to go. He walks to a leper colony, you're going to a leper colony. He walks to a homeless person, you're going to a homeless person. He says, we got to love the widow, you're going to love the widow because you're going to walk right alongside him and you're going to pick it up right there with him. And that's why Jesus wanted this to be far more then just come to church some Sunday, listen to it and walk away. He's going, man, I want you to follow me. And a lot of us have said, yes, I'm gonna follow you. And yes, I am following you. Some of you have answered that question and you've been following for 40 or 50 or 60 years. Some of you are in that place where you're a fan and you're going, I've been here and I've been listening and I, I, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm ready to take that step and follow you. But here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about those times for even for those of you that have been following Jesus for a long time. I want to talk, talk about those times where you just go, I just don't got it. I don't got it today. I don't got it this week. 
I haven't had it for this month, for this year. That you're going through a season when you're going, Jesus, can I just be a fan? I want to talk about those days when you're just going, I just, I'm tired, I'm disillusioned, I'm disappointed, and I just want to step back and be a fan. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not talking, I was thinking about this for different, different parts of Scripture and different people in, in the Bible. I'm not talking about what happened with the rich young ruler, where a rich young ruler came in, in the, amidst the crowd of people and he raises his hand. He says, hey, Jesus, he says, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what's the Bible say? And he says, well, it says you, you got to love your God with your heart, soul, mind and strength. And you got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and, and Jesus says, you're right. You do that and you're going to inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, but here's what else I want you to do. I want you to sell all your stuff and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. Because he knew with this man that this man was going to go in a direction that he's going, you'll never follow me because you're so, you so love what you have accomplished and you're just going to so rely on what you have accomplished that you're not going to follow me and rely on me. And that's, that's just, you chose a different, you're going to choose a different route. That's a great sermon to give. And I, I'll want to preach that at some point, but that's not what we're talking about today when someone just says, no, nah, I, I don't want to follow you. I'm just going to go this route. I'm not talking about the prodigal son, the, the, the story that Jesus shares of a, of a, of a kid that, that takes his dad's inheritance, goes off and squanders it and, and you know, just lives his own life and then turns around after being in the pig slop and comes back to his father and his father meets him halfway and said it with judgment, just says, I love it that you're back. I mean, that's a great story of redemption and God's grace as God meets us when we have so turned our back on him and said, no, I'm going to go a different direction. That's another great sermon. And that's one that I want to preach someday. But today, I just want to talk about the times for many of us where we sit there and say, I'm so deflated. I think that was the word that I landed on. I'm so deflated I'm so, in some ways, defeated. I'm so disappointed or disillusioned or tired or frustrated or angry or of, of anything and everything, of the church, uh, of, of the world and what I see in the world, another mass shooting in Maine and, another, and, and what's happening in Israel and the Gaza Strip. And, and, and you just get tired of it all. And you're going, I just need to be a fan for a little bit. I'm talking about those days when, when people and other people that you, you see as part of the, the Christian faith, you just get disappointed in because, of a, because, because you see their, a judgment over somebody because of their race or a judgment over somebody because of their, because of their uh, uh, gender or a judgment on somebody because of their sexual identity, a judgment on And you're just going, why? What, what in the world is happening? And so you can get tired of that, but you get tired of lots of things, just personal and what you see out there. And you finally just go, uh, can I take a break from this? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever been in that place where, where you know that Bible's sitting over there and you're going, I, I can't read it. Or when I do it, I'm getting nothing out of it because my mind's not right. You want to pray and you're going, I just pray and I just feel like these words are just floating in the, in the sky. They're not meeting anybody. 
You, you, you want to serve, but you're going, but I'm serving out of just some obligation, and so now I don't really want to do that anymore. Going to church, you're just going, I don't want to go to church. I don't, I don't want to sing songs. I'm not in a mood to sing songs. You ever in that place? That's a place where we're going, can I step back and just be a fan? Here's what I want to say first. That place is filled with guilt. If you've been a follower for a while, that place, when you're in that space, I, I, you feel, I feel so guilty when I'm in that space because I know I'm supposed to do that and I'm supposed to pray and I'm supposed to go to church and I'm supposed to hang out with going to that Bible study and I'm supposed to go, I'm supposed to love my enemy. And, and, and so there's all this guilt in there because we feel like, man, while I'm stepping into this space, I am so disappointing God. Let me first say as we unpack this, this is my, I, I wake up at three o'clock on days that I'm preaching and, and, uh, and it's my three o'clock thought. It's my three o'clock, what's God saying more than anything else from everything that you've prepared in my heart and mind to share today? My, the thought that came to me at three in the morning was how we need to so have a perspective shift. We keep seeing God as this one that's looking at us and judging us and, and is disappointed in us when we are not fully engaged in every part of what it would be, all the disciplines of what it would be to follow him. We feel like we've disappointed him. But we have to remember, and this is if you get nothing else today, we have a loving father, a dad that looks at us stuck in this space, what kind of loving dad would he be if he sees us deflated, disappointed, tired, and says, man, are you disappointing me? What kind of loving father would do that? What we need to recognize is that God sees this as part of following him. Part of following him is those days where you feel this way. And a loving father comes to him and says, man, I'm with you in this. Put it in, put it in Jesus' terms. Put it, when you think about it, when Jesus was going through all that he was doing, let's say Philip is sitting there at home and he wakes up one morning and he's going, I don't, don't want to do it today. I don't want to go today to do it. And Jesus knocks on the door and Philip's going, oh, I got to go. I'm tired. And Jesus says, come on, let's go, Philip. And he says, man, every time we go someplace, the religious leaders just bash you for all that you're saying and doing. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired. Can I just take a break today? Can I not do it today? Do you see Jesus looking at him and saying, get your sandals on and get your butt out here. He's not going to say that. He's going to sit with them, talk to him, meet him in that space. Now he still might nudge him, nudge him to move because he, he's sitting there with him going, oh, I got some, you're going to see some unbelievable things today, Philip. Come on. You'll see some great stuff. He'll nudge him because see, God knows in these, a good father knows we're susceptible as we stay idle to, we're susceptible to, 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 to that guilt taking over. We're susceptible to, to uh, being a little less motivated, a little less engaged, a little less willing, less courageous, less loving, less patient, just a little bit less. 
harder to find joy. And so he's going, man, I know I want to nudge you, but I want to nudge you with you. I want to walk with you in this. This is part of following God. We look at it and say, no, nah, I just chose to be a fan. And you just go, I don't know, maybe this is a part of this journey that we're on. I was, I was thinking about uh, uh, the people in the Bible that went through this. And of all the people, the one that I landed on was someone that we don't really think about in this, in this light. I started thinking about Thomas, of all people. See, when we think of Thomas, if you've been around church, you've been reading the, if you've read the Bible, you think Thomas, you think of Doubting Thomas. But that's just what we named him as Doubting Thomas. Really, he should have been called Deflated Thomas. And that doubt just came as a result of him being deflated. See, Thomas was right there with Jesus right up until Jesus died on the cross. He was one of the 12 guys that walked through all the stuff and did all the things and, and was a follower of Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross and he was so disillusioned by it, so disappointed by it, so frustrated that the religious people won and that the religious people said, I told you this wasn't going to happen. And he's going, yeah, he's right. I guess it didn't happen. He was so, um, he just had loss and grief. He was deflated. And so he, so he stepped away. And the rest of the disciples were around and they saw Jesus appear three days later. But Thomas didn't. He was in a, he was in a season. His season was a week. Our season could be a couple of years at times. It says one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas said to them, unless I see the scars and the nail in his hands and, and put my finger on those scars and my hand in his side, I will not believe. That is a deflated man. A week later, the disciples were together again indoors and Thomas was with them and the doors were locked. But Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas and he said, how dare you? No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he just said, put your finger here and look at my hands and reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop your doubting and believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. That word belief mixed with the word faith, man, it's putting your weight down on what you see and trust. To really trust that bridge that you're about to drive over, you got to actually drive over it. You take that step and that step says, I'm going to believe this to be true. And I'm putting my faith on that. Thomas had to take a step. That step is not an easy step to take. But Thomas had to take a step. The rich young ruler didn't want to take a step. He stepped away. The prodigal son just stepped the other direction and said, I got a better plan. Thomas had to take a step. But sometimes that step is really hard for us to take when you're in the heart of deflated and defeated. Look, at uh, David, David uh, I think, summarizes Thomas's uh, thoughts in, in Psalm 69. He says, deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm in the deep water and the floods overwhelm me. That's that, that's that place where I'm just kind of stuck right here. And the floods are overwhelming me and I'm not moving. Psalm 40 describes it. David again, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. That's the good, good father, you guys. 
He drew me out from the desolate pit. He's looking back to Joseph when his brothers threw him into that desolate pit. Out of the miry bog. He's looking back to Jeremiah when he was stuck in a miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. You guys, it's not, a, it's not a song that's being sung, it's just in his mouth. You know how sometimes we're stuck in this place and maybe we get it and we're there, but I'm not ready to sing it. Put the new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. I love how honest that passage is. We know the desolate pit sometimes and we're stuck in this space. When I, was, when I did a mission trip to, um, to Thailand the year after that massive tsunami that hit Southeast Asia and Africa, the next year we're in there and we're, all we're doing is digging 10 foot deep uh, holes for toilets. And when you're 10 feet deep into a hole in the jungles of Thailand outside of Kailak, you're digging through that stuff and you're putting it in a, in a bucket and you're lifting it up to somebody down, that has to reach down in to get that dirt out. In that hole, man, it is cold, it is dark, it is, it's harder to breathe down there, and you feel like there's no way out unless somebody else helps me out. That's the desolate pit. I love what this writer that wrote, When I Don't Desire God, he writes, Suddenly air, just air, is worth a million dollars. Helplessness, desperation, apparent hopelessness. The breaking point for the overworked businessman and the outer limits of exasperation for the mother of three constantly crying children. The impossible expectations of too many classes in school. The, the, the grinding stress of lingering illness. The imminent attack of a powerful enemy. Anything that causes a sense of helplessness and exasperation and threatens to ruin life or take it away. That's the king's pit. That's the pit that Joseph was thrown into. That's the pit that we can feel. I think the miry clay is even easier for us to understand. You ever stepped in clay that's deep? The clay that's in Rock Creek? <laughs> you step in it and then you can't get your foot out? And you're going, I know, I can, come on, this is easy. I just got to step out. And you can't and your boot's falling off and you're just like, what am I, I'm stuck. That's the way we feel sometimes. Deflated, disappointed, disillusioned, frustrated, angry, fearful. You're there. Prayer just doesn't sound like that's something I can do. I'm exhausted from it. Reading scripture, that's not, I'm not, that's not helping me at all. Or I don't even want to try. Going to church, heck no. I'm stuck. That's what they're describing. You guys, that's the perspective we need that God meets us in that and says, this is part of a journey. We talk about that all the time here at Ascent. We are, it is a journey that we're on that's gonna have all of the feels on this journey, including stuck. When, when Jackie and I took that moving van to Boston, man, we, you know, we, we drove, we, we got in a 16 foot, past, a 16 foot van, we drove it to Boston. We get through, we get to that place, you know, where, where you get to see Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, all that. We drove that, that and Jackie had never seen any of those places because she, she had, I did that when I was in high school with my family. She had never driven that road. So she was just like, no way, there's Chicago, there's Detroit, there's Cleveland. We went to Notre Dame and, she, and both of us growing up Catholic. I mean, that's like the, the, the holy grail of the Catholics. I mean, that's where I was, I applied to go to school and end up at University of Washington to the disappointment of all my Catholic family. We went to Notre Dame, got to see the gold dome and everything. And I mean, it was, she got to see all of that. And, and so, so it was, is the 
adventure of that part of the trip. It was really fun. Then we get to New England in the fall. New England in the fall is everything that people have said it is. I've never seen New England in the fall. And we drive over that, over that hillside into upstate New York and we're just like, holy smokes. The colors, it, it is a Bob Ross painting, man. I mean, it is happy trees all over the place. And so, we're, so we're, we're driving through all that, the beauty of New England. You guys, a journey is adventure. A journey is the beauty of, of New England. But you know what else is a journey? Eastern Colorado. I'm sorry for any of you guys that live. I don't even know what cities are in Eastern Colorado. Give me one city in Eastern Colorado. Jasper? Strasburg? There's a Strasburg, Colorado? I'm sorry if you're from eastern Colorado, but I'll tell you what, Wyoming gets a bad rap. All of us that say Wyoming is one ugly state, it's not ugly at Jackson Hole. Colorado's not ugly along the mountain range, but eastern Colorado? I mean, I'll take Kansas in the wheat fields over eastern Colorado. Man, that was a desert. But that's part of the journey. The beauty, the adventure, and the desert. That's part of a journey of following him. And God's saying, we got to walk through all of that. Even the times when you don't want to. That still can be a follower. What do we learn from Thomas in this space? What do we learn when we look back at Thomas and we go, okay, so if this is part of the journey, what did Thomas do in this? it's, It's all about his steps. The first thing he did is he stayed close. He stayed close. Think about it. He's he's deflated. He's separate from all the rest of his dudes. They're all having these experiences seeing Jesus. And he's far away from them. But there was a point in that week where he decided, all right, I'll go back to him. As hard as that had to be to go sit with a bunch of people that have all had this revelation about Jesus and saw him and he didn't, he still stepped to them and stayed close. And what happened when he stayed close is he ran into Jesus. We got to stay close. In these moments of us feeling this feeling of deflated, the first thing we want to do is isolate ourselves from it all. But he stayed close to him, even though he didn't really even want to. He, he ended up with those guys. And that day that Jesus appeared, who was in the room? Thomas was in the room with the rest of those guys. And Jesus went right to Thomas and ran into him. We got to stay close. You got you to, it means still going to church, even if you don't feel it, because you might run into Jesus. One song that, that, one, that our worship team is singing, one song might all of a sudden go, wait, and you just ran into Jesus. You got to stay close, even in reading scripture when it's not jumping off the page for you and it's just, it's just words on a page. And it's stay close enough that you go, you might run into Jesus there. Or it's one verse that someone gave you just to hold on to in this season. You might run into Jesus there. It's a prayer of saying, God, I don't even believe that you hear me. I don't believe that that you're even there. But you know my heart. You might run into Jesus there. 
He stayed close. Uh, the, the psalmist in Psalm 73 says, I always stay close to you. He's talking about to God. and You hold me by the hand. You guide me with your instruction. At the end, you'll receive me with honor. What else do I have in heaven but you? Since I have you, what else could I want on earth? My mind is my, and my body may grow weak, but God is my strength. He's all I ever need. One of my close friends it was, is in my covenant group. It's a group of guys where we, for 24 years we've been meeting every year together. In fact, we're next in two weeks. I'm going to go up there and spend some time with these eight guys. And we've shared life and all kinds of hell with each other. I mean, just the hardest stuff that we've had in our lives, we've shared it with each other. And, and in the midst of that, one of the guys in the group just said, you know what? I just don't know. I, I don't, I'm struggling with my belief in Jesus. And he says, you guys are listening to worship songs every once in a while. And that's fingernails on a chalkboard to me right now. And he says, I just don't know what to do. And, and, he said, and so he says, I don't think I'm going to come this next year. And we just said, no, 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 you have got to come. You need to just keep coming, show up, just show up. And he said he went and he didn't like it because here we are praying for each other and talking through life with each other. He didn't like it. The next year he came again, didn't like it, but we forced him to come and he kept coming. And he looks back on it now. And he said those years that he was going through it, staying close to, the, to us helped him to get back to where he is today. We got to stay close. Thomas stayed close. And the second thing Thomas did is he stayed the course. How foolish would it be for Jackie and I if we were driving to Boston and we get through eastern Colorado and said, this is no fun. Let's go to Texas instead. Maggie wouldn't have liked that. We'd have dropped our stuff off in Austin and said, come and get it. He stayed the course. He knew walking to those guys and staying close to those guys, those guys were on a, they were on a mission. They were fired up for Jesus. And he knew I got to stay the course. As hard as this might be, I'm going to stay the course. Paul writes about this in Philippians 4. It's a, it's a, a, just listen, just sit back and listen to this encouragement to stay the course with his, his people that he loved in Philippi. He says, my dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do, I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. Fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Steady in God. Stay the course. No matter what, how you're feeling, what you're doing, stay the course. I urge Euodia and Syndicate to iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. And oh yes, Sizegus sent you. By the way, you guys, when any pastor up in front just says a name that is like, oh, that's not the way you pronounce it, I'm fully guessing. So when you go to somebody else and say, no, it's Sizegus. I heard my pastor say that. Just know I'm guessing on how to pronounce that, okay? Um, he says, since you're right there to help them work things out, do your best with them. These women worked for the message hand in hand with Clement and me and with other veterans. Work as hard as any of us. Remember their names are also in the book of life. Because he's saying, I know that if you sit idle, the arguments and all that kind of stuff is super easy. Step, step, step towards each other. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them to see the master's about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let your petitions and praises shape your worries into prayer. See, he's not saying say, say prayers just like this. He's saying be honest with God on the worries of your life, and that's going to turn into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. 
Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. That is a loving, good father. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say that you do your best by filling your mind and meditating on things. You guys think about this. He's not saying meditating on religion. Meditate on true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious things. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. He's saying we have to stay the course. Stay the course. Which might mean for you in the middle of the bog and the mire and the mud and the desolate pit that you can feel sometimes. It might mean just holding on to two things. Love God with all you got. And that might not be very much. Love him with all you got, even if it feels like a mustard seed. As he's going, just like a mustard seed of faith, man, I'll take it. Love him with all you got. And then here's the thing you cannot do, not do. <laughs> Sometimes when we feel like we're stuck in the mud, we want to give up on loving others. That is the one thing we cannot do. Because if we give up on loving others in the midst of even our struggles that we have, then we are not stepping where Jesus stepped. That means we are stepping back. That means we have become a fan. When we stop loving others, we've become a fan. That's a mandate that every one of us have to hold on to. And we have to check ourselves there. Because sometimes when you're stuck in this place of idol, you're this place of, of just being stuck in this moment, sometimes it's easy to not love, especially our enemies. That's a pretty decent sign that we've moved away from follower and into just fan. Because as a fan, you can pick and choose who you want to love. You love them if you want them or don't love them if you don't want to. We have to do that part. And see, in the midst of all of that, here's what we discover when we stay the course, when we stay close. We discover that God was never, ever far away. We discover that God has never changed courses with us. He has always been consistently walking with us. That's why so many times in Scripture, the, the writer of Deuteronomy is the same, concludes the same thing that so many others did. The Lord himself will lead you and be with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. So do not lose courage or be afraid even when you feel like you're in the desolate pit or you're in the muddy mire. He stayed close to us because he's a good father. And he knows this is a journey. He knows our heart. He knows our weariness. He knows the things that are weighing us down. He knows that we're stuck in the mud. He knows that we can't get out of the desolate pit. He knows you've been in it for a week. He knows you've been in it for a month. He knows that you've been in it for two years. And he's with us. He's saying, I'm not letting you go. In fact, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden 
And as a loving father, he's saying, and I'm going to give you rest. Now wait, you say, but doesn't that contradict taking a step? No, no, there's a big difference between sitting idle and taking a step towards purposeful rest. He wants to meet us and even say, let's take a rest together and just sit for a while. Don't even, you don't have to even read scripture. I can't believe I just said that. You're not supposed to say that up here in front. Just sit with me. Just rest. Maybe that, that one word, just love, fall over you. Just rest. Because I know it's a journey. And I know that there's other things that are still coming. And there's going to be adventures and beauty. But there's times you're going to need rest. Will you rest here with me for a bit? Because I'm right here with you. As I was preparing this, man, I'd listen to worship songs while I'm, while I'm working out. And, and just over and over again, these songs just kept speaking to it. There's a song called Dancing on the Waves by We the Kingdom. It says, you're weary from it all, been running for too long. I'm here to bring you home. I'm reaching out. I chase you down. I dare you to believe how much I love you now. I love what it says in, in Highlands song, in this Highlands song of ascent. It says, how far beneath your glory does your kindness extend the path? From where your feet rest on the sunrise to where you sweep the sinner's path. So how fast would you come running if just to shadow me through the night, trace my steps through all my failures and walk me out the other side? I started writing them all down. And in fact, we've put that list together. And if you, we're going to have a QR code up there. And if you want to just scan it and have a list of songs, I got a bunch of songs on there. The one that we're going to sing over you guys just right now as we're finishing is like a desert here. I need your living word for these dry bones. The journey's happening. And Rather than us feeling the guilt in the midst of a desolation or in the midst of just the, the, the despair or the midst of deflated, feel and know that our loving Father sits with us, walks with us, encourages us, nudges us, and helps us to take another step forward to the adventure and the beauty of this life with Him. Stay close, stay the course. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us. Some of us are in the heart of it right now, and, 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 I, and I get that. And, and even just being here, yeah, it's hard. They, and it's, you know, I think that playing Candy Crush on your phone in the middle of church is a lot easier than listening to this. I pray that they would run into you. They'd run into you. I pray that for each of us that go through seasons where we are in the desolate pit, in the, in the miry bog, that we would run into you. I pray that you would meet us. We want to follow you, and we know there's times that we just don't feel like we are. Thank you that you don't ever leave us. You don't change courses. In fact, you draw even closer. 
Help us to see how close you draw. We want to hold your hand, stay close to you, and walk us through it. Help us in this journey.